الحمد لله الحمد لله بما هو أهله هو أهل التقوى وأهل المغفرة الحمد لله رب العالمين رب الأولين ورب الآخرين وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله الذي قدر فهدى والذي أخرج المرعى فجعله غثاء أحوى وأشهد أن سيدنا وحبيبنا وعزيزنا محمدا صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم عبده ورسوله سنقرئك فلا تنسى إلا ما شاء الله إنه يعلم الجهر وما يخفى من يطع الله ورسوله وأولي الأمر من المؤمنين فلا مضل له ومن يعص الله ورسوله وأولي الأمر من المؤمنين فلا هادي له ومن يتوكل على الله فإن الله على كل شيء قدير حسبنا الله ونعم الوكيل نعم المولى ونعم النصير أما بعد Dear committed Muslims This month marks the end of 36 years of being out here for Allah and with Allah and the beginning of 37 years this is enough time for us to learn from our experience I'm going to try, alhamdulillah, that Allah has given us quite a pleasant day. I'm going to try to explain some of what we may have learned in this time period. I will begin by referring to the events that are outlined in Surah Yusuf. Obviously I can't go through all of the Surah and obviously you have some information about the Surah. So with those two together I hope you can fill in some of the explanations that I will attempt to provide you with لقد كان في يوسف وإخوته آيات للسائلين There has been in the narrative of Yusuf and his brothers a demonstration of Allah's miraculous will for those who care to ask about it, for those who care to be inquisitive about it. لَقَدْ كَانَ فِي يُوسُفَ وَإِخْوَتِهِ آيَاتٌ لِلسَّائِلِينَ Now I want to bring to your attention 
for those who like to entertain numbers and for those who have the information to relate to this that Surah Yusuf is the 12th Surah of the Quran and Yusuf is one of 12 brothers this is indicated in the ayah when Yusuf expressed himself to his father Prophet Yaqub Inni ra'aytu ahada ashara kawkaba washamsa wal qamara ra'aytuhum li sajideen I have indeed this is what Yusuf is telling his father I have indeed seen 12 stars or planets 11 I have seen 11 stars or planets paying respect to me or prostrating themselves to me and the Sun and the moon along with them So at the end of the surah, when his brothers show their respect to him, they were 11 brothers. So he's the 12th. Surah Yusuf is the 12th surah. And Yusuf is one of 12 brothers. What happened to Yusuf? What happened? What happened was that he was born in a family and the brothers in that family wanted to get rid of him. And they had some very evil thoughts about getting rid of him. Uqutulu Yusuf awitrahuhu ardan yakhlu lakum wajhu abikum watakunu min ba'dihi qawman salihin. So they said, they th- the way they were thinking this through, how are we going to get rid of him? One thought was to kill him. The other one was to disable him or to have him at a distant land, depending on how the understanding of itrahuhu arda. So in doing this, then you're going to regain the favorable position of your father. This information is common knowledge. You read this in the surah. It's obvious. There's no hidden meaning here. But It invites further thought. Why did Yusuf's brothers want to get rid of him? Because they felt that he did not belong to their solidarity. And they said this. La Yusuf, these are the ayat, the words of the Quran. La Yusuf wa akhuhu ahabu ila abina minna wa nahnu usbah. Yusuf and his brother are more favored by our father than we are. It's very important for you to understand this because we have cliques around here. I'm not saying this in the abstract. It has to do with our real condition in the real world in real time. We have cliques around here. And they feel that they are superior. The same way these children of Israel felt that they were superior. And why did they want to get rid of Yusuf and not get rid of his brother? Because the ayah says they confessed Yusuf and his brother 
are favored more than we are by our own father. So why didn't they get rid of both of them? Why did they just decide to get rid of one? And that one happened to be in the future, they didn't know, but in the future he happened to be Allah's designated prophet. Alayhi salam. So he's one of them and then they decide he is not one of us. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had him born among them and they rejected him. And they had their own purpose for doing so. Yusuf is one and we are more than he is. So that gives us the right to get rid of him. The same psychology is at work among us. Don't think that Bani Israel is some race that belongs in the years of a thousand or two thousand or three thousand years ago. That psychology and that mentality and that attitude is right here. Among us, if we didn't learn this, if you haven't realized in the course of these 36 past years, if you haven't realized that some Muslims, these are Muslims, they say we are better than he is. Or let's try to sideline him. Or let's try to get rid of him. So they expelled him. His own brothers, who didn't li- did not like him, expelled him. They put him in a well, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from there on took care of him. What happens next? Yusuf is sold into, okay, let's use the term, let's be blunt about it. He's sold as a slave boy. Someone who would eventually be located to do the work in the palace of a populist Egyptian ruler, Azizu Misr. He wasn't a pharaoh. The Quran does not refer to the ruler of Egypt at that time as a pharaoh. He was Aziz Misr, meaning he was a populist ruler in Egypt, unlike the pharaohs. What happens to Yusuf here when he finds him? And remember Yusuf, Throughout all of this, up until now, as the Qur'an, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala explains and outlines this history for us, he's not speaking. Allah's will, it's taking its course, and up until now, he is silent. He was silent when his brothers did what they did to him. He was silent on the way to the unknown in Egypt and he was silent in the house of Aziz Misr, the popular ruler in Egypt. So what happens when he's there? What happens is the wife of the very likable ruler, the wife falls in love with Yusuf. And then she engineers the circumstances to have an affair with Yusuf, alayhi salam. And this is a moment of temptation 
And Yusuf السلام, refuses to fall into sin. So he wants to escape from this trap temptation or temptation that is a trap for him. What happens after that? He is excluded from that household. This is not uh, an average place. It's like a mansion. It's like the White House today in this country. He's excluded. They don't want him anymore. Even though they loved him. She, the mistress of the ruler of the land, and the women who were with her, because she later on, she brings the women, say, okay, you're talking about me falling in love with him. You yourself come and see. She brought them and they took a look at him and they also were overtaken by his charm and his appeal. These are in the ayat of the Qur'an. And because they loved him, he was excluded. His brothers hated him, they expelled him. The foreigners in Egypt fell in love with him and they excluded him. This is not something that is astaghfirullah, astaghfirullah ta'ala. We're not saying that this Jumu'ah prayer is a prophetic Jumu'ah prayer. What we are saying is there are parallels between what has happened to the Muslims here by those who are supposedly either don't like us anymore so they expel us, obviously, inside that masjid. Or those who fell in love with us and wanted us to join their temptations. I don't want to say any names. I don't want to refer to any particular individuals or any particular madhabs or anything like that. I think you're mature enough to understand that we have a problem of selfishness in individuals and we have a problem of asabiya in groups of people. All of them are Muslims. The individual is a Muslim and that group of people call it an organization, call it an Islamic center, call it an association, call it whatever you want. We have a problem. Because they don't learn. They just don't learn. They read the, this Qur'an as if it doesn't relate to the real life around. Oh, he's not one of us. You know, that's a phrase that's conveniently expressed. Oh, he's not one of us. Go into these types of groupings that we have. Go to them. And maybe at first encounter, they don't know you, you don't know them. After a time, after some years, we had 36 years, remember. After a time, when they open up their real selves, they'll say, oh, but they are not part of us. Or he's not part of us. That is the seed of all the problems that we are suffering from. It's a racist seed. It's a sectarian seed. It's a nationalist seed that grows into discrimination, segregation, 
and prejudice. That's what we have. Can you, especially those of you who have been here in the past 36 years, can you comfortably, with a clear conscience, can you say we fit into any of those categories? Are we racists? I ask you, are we racists? Has anyone heard anything from this minbar throughout all of these years that indicate that we are racists? Then why do we have our some of our Muslim brothers saying, oh, but he's not one of us. Have we been throughout the, all of these years, have we been sectarian? Ask yourself with your God-given conscience, have we been sectarian here? We've been accused by one sect of belonging to the other and vice versa. And they say in their confidential settings, oh yeah, but they're not part of us. They may express it in other words, other words that are sharper or other words that are milder, but that's what they mean. And don't think we've been spending 36 years here and not learning from our time and from our efforts and from our sacrifices. As I said, I'm not going to name any individual or any organization or Islamic center or any groupings of Muslims. But I will point out the following. You know, there's been, the media has been here. We've had different TV stations, different radio programs throughout all of these years they've come here and all of this. What concerns us is are those who are in the Arabian Peninsula, number one. Obviously, I haven't been here. Al Arabiya or Al Jazeera, I never covered this. When it is newsworthy, how, how can this happen? In a land of democracy, in a land of elections, Muslims who wanted to have their popular will represented in Allah's masjid are in the street. Whether you're looking at this Islamically or you're looking at this strictly from a secular, non-religious point of view, this is newsworthy. But no, everyone's looking the other way. We are satisfied that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is looking this way and they can look all the other ways they want to. Press TV, supposed to belong to an Islamic orientation of sorts. Is it forbidden for us to ask, well, why haven't they covered something like this in all of these years? Once again, does it go back to the asabiya and the selfishness that I referred to earlier or something else? It's very easy for a Muslim, a responsible Muslim to say, hey, wait a minute here, I've had it all of these years and nothing is happening and let's just call it quits. That's an easy way out, isn't it? Anyone can do that. But have you ever heard of any prophet or any man of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who said after a time, hey, I've had enough of this, I don't want this anymore. Let me just call it quits. Can anyone bring me an example of any of that? And if we can't bring an example of that, why is this happening to some of us? Some of these brothers and sisters, they were here many years ago. They're still in the area. Those who went back to their homelands and their countries of origin, this, alhamdulillah, may Allah be with them, reward them wherever they are. But those who are still in the area, 
What is the bug inside of them that tells them, well, I've had enough. I was there for a couple of years. I was there for several years. I was even there for a decade or two, but I can't be there anymore. What is there? Look, we're all going on to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. How are they going to answer that question? On the day when they will be asked. There have been, you know, this person who's giving you the khutbah here. There are many things that I cannot mention in the khutbah. There are some things I can allude to. Such as in these years, the tafsir that yours honestly has been working on. We ha- I have comments coming my way saying, a tafsir that does not refer to Ahl al-Bayt is not a tafsir at all. If they only could read the meanings of the, instead of looking at certain terminology, certain words, and thereby judging the whole tafsir, if they can delve into the meanings of this tafsir, they would know when they are right and when they are wrong in saying something like that. Throughout all of these years, you know, our relationship with Ahl al-Kitab is in the ayah, قُلْ يَا أَهْلَ الْكِتَابِ تَعَالَوْا إِلَىٰ كَلِمَةٍ سَوَاءٍ بَيْنَنَا وَبَيْنَكُمْ when we are speaking to Ahl al-Kitab, we say, come to a common t- word, to a common ground between us and you, that we shall not comply or conform to anyone except Allah. وَلَا نُشْرِكَ بِهِ شَيْئًا وَلَا يَتَّخِذَ بَعْضُنَا بَعْضًا أَرْبَابًا مِنْ دُونِ اللَّهِ This is the ayah that defines an amicable relationship between us and Ahl al-Kitab. We're not telling Ahl al-Kitab as per this ayah, you have to believe in Muhammad. The ayah doesn't say that. It says, come, let us conform only to Allah. That's enough to have a common ground between us and you. And then we, among ourselves, as Muslims, if someone doesn't believe in the infallibility of the imams, then you are excluded. We have nothing to do with you. We are extending our hand to Ahl al-Kitab. And then among ourselves, we are withholding our, our hands from each other. Tell me we didn't learn this in the past 36 years. We've had people who come and say, oh, the person has to take his shahada all over again. It's not enough to say, Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah wa ashhadu anna muhammadan rasulullah. That's not enough. For some individuals, no, you have to say, in addition to that, wa ashhadu anna aliyan waliyullah. If you didn't say all of that, you either are uh, an incomplete Muslim or you're not a Muslim yet, depending how on how fanatic the person is. That's another issue that, that we've encountered in all of these years. And then, look, we have been here in the, in the street, on the sidewalk actually, for all of these years. And then we've seen information came to us about those who have resources, who would you would who you would expect to know better, giving their resources to those who now are employed or managed by the powers of Zionism and imperialism. I don't want to be specific. If you want to know 
what I am talking about, you come to me and ask me. I'll tell you what I mean by this. In the meantime, there are, there are those individuals now who point fingers. First, we were Wahhabi, Wahhabis, or Wahhabi agents. That was in the first years. And that drifted away. Recently, there are fingers that we are imperialist agents. They, these may not be their words, but in that general meaning. What are we, we're going to wait another 20, 30 years and we're going to become Zionist agents at that time? Where are we going with this? This paranoia, this cancer in the soul of these individuals has to be remedied. And only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can remedy these types of individuals and that type of mentality. Brothers and sisters, of course, being here all of these years, we are classified by certain people and certain individuals, even countries and governments. We are classified as belonging to the Islamic revolution, the Islamic awakening, the Islamic self-determination in Iran. There's nothing wrong with that. I think that's quite accurate. That being said, there are those in the Islamic Republic or belonging in one way or the other to the Islamic popular effort in Iran who it is very convenient for them to write us off and probably they feel comfortable doing this because this asabiyya was latent in them and there will come a time and the time has come when they prove who they are and they are proving who they are behind the scenes and not so much behind the scenes. And they think we are absent-minded or we don't know much about what's going on and the rest of this issue. Rest assured, we have the insight of committed Muslims. A person comes up to yours truly weeks ago and then begins speaking to me about some intelligence agencies. I know what the inference is, I know what the context is, and I know what the background is. But what does that mean? I mean, how far can a person go being with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and then at the same time having these types of selfish attitudes and asabiyya organizations all around. We can only complain to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There are people, there are individuals, there are organizations and governments that kicked us out of the Islamic center. They expelled us as was done to Prophet Yusuf. And there are those who with velvet gloves excluded us as happened to Prophet Yusuf. And if the end result is a transition to Al-Akhirah or on the way there into some prison or some detention, if Prophet Yusuf went through it, who are we to say we are not ready to go through it? It all begins with just a little bit of prejudice. Just a little bit of that. And then it will grow into discrimination. And then into segregation. And then into a type of exclusion and expulsion. If you feel comfortable with these lessons of these years, and you feel you're in the presence of Allah, that's where you belong. But if there are some undercurrents, 
that are seeping through your mind or your heart. Get rid of these undercurrents. We are here, we have been here, and we will stay here for the cause of Allah. Fi sabilillah, as long as we can breathe and as long as there is health within these bodies. لَقَدْ كَانَ لَكُمْ فِي يُوسُفَ وَإِخْوَتِهِ آيَاتٌ لِلسَّائِلِينَ أَقُولُ قَوْلِ هَذَا وَأَسْتَغْفِرُ اللَّهَ لِي وَلَكُمْ أُدْعُوهُ سُبْحَانَهُ وَأَنْتُمْ مُوْقِنُونَ بِالْإِجَابَةِ الحمد لله الذي هدى وصلى الله وسلم على سيدنا المصطفى وعلى آله وصحبه أولي النهى وأولي التقى Dear committed brothers and sisters This week is the week in which the Saudi-led criminal war in Yemen enters its fifth year. And because Muslims around the world don't speak about the Saudi ruling family, we are encountering now the consequences of these war criminals committing crimes against humanity, war crimes, and they're on their way now to try to obtain nuclear weapons. Just this past, in this week, this government here, ruled by a fascist in the White House, has given the green light to certain companies to exchange. Exchange, that's the word they use, not exchange. The Saudis have nothing to give as far as knowledge and technology. So they're passing nuclear technology from here to the Saudi war criminals in the Arabian Peninsula. One of the pro-Saudi scholars for dollars his name is Salah al-Maghamisi who is the khatib and the acting imam in Masjid Quba in al-Madina this is what he says remember this statement is preparing for a normalization of relations between the Muslims and the Zionists he says there are some people who argue that Muslims cannot go to Al-Quds, Jerusalem. He said this is a controversial issue. When the consensus of all the Muslims, practically all the Muslims, is that Muslims don't need Zionist permission to go to Al-Masjid, Al-Aqsa or to Al-Quds, Jerusalem. This Maghamisi is coming out and saying that's a controversial issue. He explains himself. He says, the Prophet used to go to the Kaaba. He used to do his tawaf around the Kaaba when the Mushriks were ruling Mecca. Now, on the surface of it, that's a true statement. The Prophet used to go around the Kaaba when he was in Mecca. Of course, sometimes he was harassed and sometimes he was confronted, but he used to go around the Kaaba. But what is lacking in a statement like this is the Prophet did not need the permission of the Mushriks to do the Tawaf. So the analogy is incorrect. Because when a Muslim wants to go to Al-Quds or to Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa, he needs the authorization of those who stole Al-Quds and Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa. If we didn't need their authorization, yeah, Muslims welcome to go. Go to Al-Quds, to Jerusalem. 
But you, no one can do it. Can anyone go to Al-Quds in Jerusalem without obtaining a visa from the Israeli thieves of the Holy Land? You can't do it. So the analogy is wrong. But who's going to know this? People who go to masajid and Islamic centers where there's no knowledge of these issues, they hear a statement like this. Well, that sounds... That sounds correct to me. The Prophet used to make the tawaf around the Kaaba when the mushriks were ruling Mecca. So the Muslims can go to Al-Quds and Al-Aqsa when the Zionists or Al-Yahud are ruling Al-Quds or Jerusalem. This is where we are. This is what happens when we don't have substance in our khutbas, in our teachers or preachers. This is what happens. And then yesterday or the day before, the Saudis bombed a hospital in Yemen. Several individuals were killed. And what was the comment of the U.S. government said, oh, that was an awful strike on a Yemeni hospital. Those are the, that's the quote unquote awful. And then it asked the Saudi Arabian government to investigate themselves. How fair and how impartial a statement is that they killed Khashoggi in the most heinous in the most tragic way and the major person who was responsible for that a person by the name of Al-Qahtani he's excluded from coming to court to face justice you expect justice from these types of people This weekend, there's going to be an Arab summit. 20 heads of state are going to be meeting in Tunis, in Tunisia. And the king of Saudi Arabia, would you not know it, is attending. He has, I don't know, around a dozen emirs with him. Around a dozen, I don't know, high-ranking individuals with him. And then 1,000 of his entourage, 1,000 for a senile, demented king. And then what is in the news? The Tunisian government wants to give him an honorary PhD, a person who cannot construct a sentence wants to be given by the Tunisian government an honorary PhD. So the government of Tunisia asks the reputable university of Ezeituna to give him that PhD. And the university refuses. Because there's still some decent people around that know you can't give a PhD to a person, an honorary PhD to a person who cannot even think. And this is no exaggeration. There's no hyperbole in this. He cannot even think. Then the Saudis say, oh, we're going to give Tunisia $830 million. What do you want to bribe the government to give your king a PhD? These are real. These are real issues. They say, why do you speak like this? Well, this is a moral issue. This is the type of king and these are the type of rulers who are killing us. Isn't saving people's lives a moral issue? The minister who's in charge of foreign affairs in the United Arab Emirates, he, sa- he says that it, was, it has been a mistake for the rulers in Arab countries not to have normalized their relations with the Israelis a long time ago. These statements keep on coming out. The United Kingdom that hag of an of a colonialist is training young individuals 10 12 14 years old to kill in Yemen 
Isn't this a moral issue? Why shouldn't the Muslims in their khutbahs on Friday outline the morality of this issue? And then the Russians and the Israelis, they sign some type of memorandum that they will never come to clash over Syria. Meaning the armed forces of the Russians and the armed forces of the Israelis will never fight themselves over in Syrian airspace or Syrian territory. Maybe some of these rulers, they should take their cue from the Prime Minister of Malaysia who said that the Israeli government is a government of thieves. That's the least you can say. At least he has a conscience that can express this, unlike those rulers in the Arabian Peninsula and in North Africa and in other places who are hugging the Israeli officials, the Israeli war criminals, hugging them, shaking hands with them, giving them red carpet receptions. Isn't it a moral issue to speak about such criminals? Can anyone call Netanyahu a racist Jewish supremacist? Can anyone do that? When he says, this Netanyahu says, Israel is not a state of all the people in it. It is exclusively a state for the Jewish people. And then you have these evangelicals in this country and the neoconservatives in this country. They are explaining their policies now in terms of Armageddon and in terms of them doing the will of God. Some of them say Trump has been sent by God for Israel. And in this latest, this past week, Trump signs a piece of paper saying that the Golan Heights belong to the Israelis. What's next? The West Bank belongs to the Israelis. This week marks one year of the freedom marches of the Palestinians. Roughly 300 have been killed in these peaceful marches, which we don't have people mentioning in the Islamic centers and the masajid around. Why? Are you afraid? Isn't this a yawm of taqwa? If there's going to be any fear, it's the fear of Allah, not the fear of these quislings and these traitors and these war criminals. When is the Islamic conscience going to grow to see through the lies and the fabrications around and speak truth to power? Allahumma arina al-haqqa haqqan warzuqna tiba'a wa arina al-batila batilan warzuqna ijtinaba. وَلَا تَجْعَلْهُ مُلْتَبِسًا عَلَيْنَا وَجْعَلْنَا لِلْمُتَّقِينَ إِمَامًا اللهم إليك نشكو ضعف قوتنا وقلة حيلتنا وهوانا على الناس يا أرحم الراحمين أنت ربنا وأنت رب المستضعفين فإلى من تكلنا إلى غريب يتجهمنا أم إلى عدو ملكته أمرنا إن لم يكن بك علينا غضب فلا نبالي ولكن عافيتك هي أوسع لنا نعوذ بنور وجهك الذي أشرقت له الظلمات وصلح عليه أمر الدنيا والآخرة من أن تنزل بنا غضبك أو تحل علينا صختك لك العتبى حتى ترضى ولا حول ولا قوة إلا بك إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وآل محمد 
وبارك على محمد وآل محمد وصل وبارك على إبراهيم وآل إبراهيم في العالمين إنك حميد مجيد بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والعصر إن الإنسان لفي خسر إلا الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات وتواصوا بالحق وتواصوا بالصبر ومن أظلم ممن منع مساجد الله أن يذكر فيها اسمه وسعى في خرابها أولئك ما كان لهم أن يدخلوها إلا خائفين لهم في الدنيا خزي ولهم في الآخرة عذاب عظيم إن الله يأمر بالعدل والإحسان وإيتاء ذي القربى وينهى عن الفحشاء والمنكر والبغي يعظكم لعلكم تذكرون وأقم الصلاة إن الصلاة كانت على المؤمنين كتابا موقوتا أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله أشهد أن محمد رسول الله حي على الصلاة حي على الفلاح قد قامت الصلاة قد قامت الصلاة الله أكبر الله